Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Catherine. And I am Gail. And we are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and are delighted to welcome you to today's episode. Each week, we showcase vital women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who continue to shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest focuses on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. And today, we're delighted to talk with Susan Halverson-Westerberg, age 71, who lives in Portland, Oregon. Now, Susan and I have been friends since we were young lasses in Minnesota. We went to the same church. We were in Luther League together. We were in the same high school. Of course, there's only one high school. Uh, and we, have, we stayed in contact for a good while after high school, and then life took us in different paths. But every time we do reconnect, it's a conversation. It's like we just picked up on, a, on the last conversation. And I'm so happy to reconnect with Susan uh, in this setting in our Women Over 70 podcast. So I'll tell you a little bit about her. Winston was 31 years old, she recently divorced. She left farm life in Minnesota and moved with her three young children to Virginia Beach, Virginia. And without taking it, she completed her master's and doctorate in counselor education at the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. And there she served as co-director of William and Mary's counseling clinic. Susan also earned three professional licenses, licensed marriage and family therapist, licensed professional counselor, and licensed professional school counselor. Then with a PhD, at age 50, Susan moved across country to Oregon to take on a full-time faculty position in counselor education at Portland State University, where she became coordinator of the marital couple and family specialty. Two years ago, after 18 years teaching, mentoring, and leading graduate programs at Portland State, Susan retired as an emeritus associate professor. Now, Susan has enjoyed traveling the world with her husband, who's 20 years her senior, and prior to retirement, Susan and her husband traveled to Kenya for mission work. This transformative experience prompted Susan to write a children's book, Margaret's Family Tree, a story of hope and belonging. She wrote it in English and had it also translated into Swahili. So we're eager to hear about Susan's professional accomplishments, world travel experiences, her book, and the challenges of being in retirement with an older partner. So Susan, welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Let's begin by having you tell us a bit about that major life transition from Minnesota to Virginia and the path that your career took. Well, thank you for having me. It certainly is really, uh, it is certainly wonderful to reconnect with you, Catherine. Um, yeah, I would say that I was, um, it was quite a, quite a, a change to go from Montevideo, which is like no one stoplight to Virginia Beach, which is a pretty big place. And my kids were um, a little bit um, in awe too of having to go to a place that was that big. But it was, it, I think, um, I think 
when you go to someplace like that, because I didn't know anybody east of the Mississippi. So you have to find your your groups. And I found a church and, um, and found a lot of friends through that that were supportive of me during this period of time. So you sort of make a family um, of your own when, you're, when you don't have your family close. Um, I, I would say it was a, it was a challenge from, from a cultural perspective to go from a farm into a big uh, city. But, um, you know, I think I had, I had a powerful support in my faith and um, felt like I was doing what I needed to do. And it turned out to be, you know, to, to, it turned out to work out very well. Even my kids thanked me for moving them into oh, the bigger good. city. <laughs> now, my understanding is that you, you went to Virginia Beach for the purpose of going to graduate school. Is that right? Exactly. I did. I went to get my master's. And so the first year I did a full-time master's and just worked part-time. And then the second year, which was probably the hardest year, I finished my master's at night and I started um, teaching first grade. <laughs> so that, and I had my youngest daughter was just starting first grade that year. So it was a pretty challenging year. You know, your first year of teaching can be pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was probably the hardest year. But, um, and then after that, once I got my master's, I taught first grade for five years. And then um, uh, Virginia's, the Virginia's um, government decided that they needed elementary counselors in all the schools. And so I was positioned in the right place. So I was one of the first that got hired as an elementary counselor. And then this small group of us, actually established and shaped the Virgin the elementary school counseling program in Virginia Beach. You know, we did the philosophy and objectives mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. And so um and then within two years they were supposed to hire a full complement. So we were supervising people and we were it was it was a really thrilling experience and uh, very foundational. And I and so I was ten years then as a elementary school counselor and I loved that dearly. I really enjoyed that. It gave my my creative side um, mm -hmm. a chance to really bloom. So I remember that well. And then, but, but what I realized when I was doing that, we had two ED classrooms in our school, in my school. And I realized that children who have emotional disturbances or emotional challenges um, need something more than just a warm counselor that kind of helps them through tough times. And I realized I needed more information. And that's when I started. I found a supervisor and started working toward licensure. Um, and I also started continuing with my classwork. So um, I was driving from Virginia Beach to William and Mary to take classes uh, about eight, to get licensed. And by the time mm -hmm. I finished those classes and got licensed, I realized I didn't have that much more to go to finish my doctorate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I just uh, kept going. And at, after 10 years of being a school counselor, I um, resigned and um, moved to William, Williamsburg to finish my last two years of my doctorate full time. So, and uh, you know, so all that, that plus the, it, to get licensed as a professional counselor in Virginia, you need not only the coursework, but you need 4,000 hours 
of supervised clinical work. Wow. So that was really time consuming. So. And, and did that count toward any of your, your doctoral work? Um, not actually. It's like a separate, almost like a separate thing. Mm. Um, the coursework counted as far as that goes, mm-hmm. but actually the, the work toward, and then when I was at William and Mary, then, you know, we had a marriage and family, uh, we had a clinic that was for families and couples and uh, children. And I did my internship um, in an elementary school where I actually worked with families from the school. I wasn't the school counselor, mm-hmm. but I was the, um, but I would come in and work with families that was, were referred to me by the counselor or whatever. So that was very interesting. Um, I, you know, when I first went into it, I thought, you know, a school counselor can be a family counselor and be a school counselor. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that you need all that information, but your role is different. So your role as a school counselor is to make sure that that the client is your child and you want to make sure that family, school, teachers, peers all work together to help this child be successful. When you're working with families, the family unit is your, is your client. And you work within the family to make sure that the child has a place um, that he has safety. But that doesn't mean the child is necessarily your client. So you, there are two different roles, which I learned as I went along. Uh, so um, I think you need the information as a school counselor of what family counseling is about. So you can facilitate, but it's pretty hard to do both things mm-hmm. at the same time. I, I remember what, just you know talking with you recently that you said that you you learn to take a systems approach to your work, and is this an example of of that? Exactly, this is an example because when you're working with couples or you're working with a family, um, the system is the client, and so you you aren't. You don't take one side against another. And the idea isn't like what's the mental health issues, which you also are aware of. But, but the idea is that you get the system and the system is about how they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. how a couple or a family how do people parent their children do they work together you know so the system is actually what you're focusing on when you're working from a family systems perspective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that works whether you're working with um, a school where you see how a system works in a school you know are the are the teachers and the principal working together, that type of thing. So really um, you're looking at something different than like necessarily mental health. You know, if you're a, a licensed professional counselor, your focus is more on people who have mental health issues mm-hmm. and you have to know that, but, um, and you, but you, you don't necessarily deal with that directly when you're working with the system. You take it into consideration, but, did you complete your doctorate when you were 50? I did. I was 50 when I finished. I was like, ooh, it's a good thing I'm done because, boy, it's hard to get all that <laughs> in your head the older you get, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I think I do. And then well, so you moved across the country to Portland, Oregon, to, yes. to take on it, be a faculty, uh, a faculty person in a counselor education at Portland State. So now your role is different. 
But now I had to learn another whole set of skills. Mm -hmm. I was getting pretty good at working with children. <laughs> and that still was one of my favorite classes to teach counseling children and doing sand tray and play therapy and all that. But, but my role was, uh, I, when I first came, I was both teaching school counseling classes and marriage and family classes. At that point in time, our program had three specialties. They had school counseling, rehab counseling, and professional counseling. And marriage and family was a certificate that you would add on to one of those. And uh, so, I, so that was what I started out with. But eventually, I went full-time with the, with the marriage and family um, part of the program and, and managed to get it um, KCREP accredited. And it was a full-on uh, specialty in its own right by the time I left. And very, a very popular, um, because even if you are working with an individual with mental health, like I said, you need to have an understanding of how that person fits into their system. Mm -hmm. So you have to help, you have to take into consideration what they're going home to or whatever. So it, it was important for me um, as I expanded the marriage and family, uh, couples marriage and family program at Portland State to start to include the other specialties in some of the coursework for marriage and family. Because if you're working with rehab, with a rehab client, once again, they come from a family. No person is an isolate. And it may not be a, an immediate family, but it's a system that they're working in. So no matter what your specialty is, you need to understand the systemic nature of, of how people um, function in the world. Yeah, definitely. So Gail, I'm uh, ready to move to world travel, but I want to, since we can't see each other, yes. want, do you have any, any questions that you'd like to ask at this point? Well, I, I'm wondering, Susan, you seem so resilient and getting divorced at a young age with three children is something I know well. And uh, so I'm, I'm wondering how it is that you knew that you wanted to pursue this particular career, this life. Well, you know, I think we all think we can look down the road and see where we're going. But so many times I think our life is like you see the thing that's in front of you and you do that and take the next step. You know, I think I've always known I needed to keep on going with my education because I had stopped it when I started having my children. Um, but I never knew. I thought I, I thought I would be a teacher. But then the next step was counseling, which makes more sense for my personality. And so, you know, it's like step by step. You, you see the way uh, that you're going and you take the next step. And I think I came from a family where resilience was um, was modeled for me. My father had polio. Kathy knows my, Catherine knows my father. Mm -hmm. um, and he was such a role model and example to me of how no matter what happens to you, you just keep going on and you trust mm -hmm. in God to make things work. And that's kind of been the role that I had to follow. Yes. Wow. So, Good for you. So Susan, you and I met at, at a high school reunion. I, I don't remember how many maybe at least a decade ago. Yes. Maybe longer. And you, I was, I was green with envy because you were talking about world travel, going around the world with your, uh, who then, who, Jim, who became your husband. Yes. So 
just give us a, a glimpse about that experience. Well, it was it was so lovely because I had sabbatical coming and it, I needed to take a sabbatical, and but I had no money, so I met Jim and Jim had some money. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like he's I've got the time, you've got the money, honey. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, so, but we went, we, we started out with the People to People International in South Africa, um, it was, which is a, a group of, of psychologists and counselor educators and whatever who went to South Africa mm -hmm. and met with various segments of the population around counseling. Mm -hmm. And so that was the start of it. And they, when they left and went home, we stayed another two weeks in South Africa, which, by the way, is a really lovely country. We love South Africa. And then we went from there to Thailand, where we spent a, a good um, 17 days. And then we went to Australia and New Zealand. Mm. I did my first snorkeling off the, um, um, the Great Barrier Reef. It was so amazing. Um, and then, so we were gone for two and a half months. And when we came back, I said, man, if we can travel for two and a half months and get along well, Okay, I give up. I'll we'll get married. <laughs> so then we went to Hawaii and got married. <laughs> Why Hawaii? I think we just hadn't been there and really wanted to go. So and it was February, which is the perfect time to go to Hawaii. That's perfect. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, that was the start, and then I had to go back to work, of course. But. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I would like to hear about your book, because when we talked recently, that is an incredibly wonderful story about, um, did you go back to, did you and Jim go back to Africa a second time? Yeah, we went to Kenya. Um, our church had a 125th um, anniversary, and we wanted to do something meaningful. And so we raised funds to build a children's rescue center, which is not exactly a an orphanage because they don't adopt kids out, but it's like a place where orphans and uh, can come and be taken care of. Cause we know that some of the African countries have so many children who are being orphaned through the AIDS problems and whatever. So, and we were in touch with Pastor Chuchu, who uh, is from there, and with, with him, in collaboration with him, he built a children's rescue center. And Jim and I decided um, that we would go and see how it was progressing. And I also started to feel this need to, to write a children's book that would comfort and help kids who have become orphans, mm. either single or double orphans. They're still in a hard place. Even if you have one parent in that country, there's not the kind of system that helps or that's set up so that kids who even lose one parent aren't in danger. But we knew that there were a lot of children who had either parent, and with the crisis that was going on, um, there wasn't family to take them in. And one of the things that I found about Kenya in my, in my estimation was the, the two things that are really important to the Kenyans that we were in touch with were God and family. And so um, I wanted to go and find out um, how, how I could help. And so we interviewed orphans, we interviewed widows and widowers, um, we went to a funeral, um, and I talked to some of the uh, pastors there. I asked this one old pastor, I said, what can 
what can I do that would be the most helpful for the children? And he said, because I said, I'm going to write a book. And he said, write something that gives them hope. And, uh, and so when I came home, I wrote Margaret's family tree. And because family is important. And if you're an orphan, you will maybe lose track. So, so the incidents that happened that are in the book are all incidents that I witnessed while I was there. One of the things is the children singing and babysitting the, each other while their parents had to walk an hour to get food and stuff like that. Um, all of those things are things I experienced. I didn't want it to be from coming from a white person's world, giving them advice. I wanted to, I wanted it to be something that was true to them, mm -hmm. which is why I was thankful to have Pastor Choo Choo to be able to send the stuff to him and to say, is this accurate? Does this make sense from your perspective? And um, so anyways, that's, that's how that all came about. And uh, I think I was, I was, I'm, you know how, Catherine, remember how Connie Bang and I used to always do things together in high school? Yes. I was creative. Connie was the pragmatic person. So we got a lot accomplished. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I finally, I tried for two years to find a publisher and it's really hard to find a publisher for children and I was getting kind of despondent and then I met a woman named Catherine on one of our cruises and she has more energy than anybody I've ever met and and um, lots of good ideas and she said we're gonna figure out how to self-publish this and so she kind of um, helped me to be able to figure out how to self-publish which is what I ended up which is what we ended up doing so the book is now in two formats the first one is a PDF, which is like a coloring book. And in some ways, I mean, I love the pictures in the colored book, which I'll talk about, but um, I, 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 I like the format because it's anybody can download the book and use it as a coloring book and use it as a story that you can read with children who are without parents. And the back of the book includes a family tree where someone can help the children fill in who their family is mm -hmm. and also encourage conversations around stories from the um, uh, stories from their family that they can then remember. Nice. Uh, so the book is, has a real pragmatic hands-on feel, which I like. And then the other one, I worked with a graphic artist and, and it's got beautiful pictures. Uh, you can order that um, online at Amazon. It's still online. Um, it doesn't have the Swahili in it. The other one, the first one, the coloring book has is also in Swahili. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, so those are the two formats. One one is it has the same. They both have the same story and the same information in the back. I also have a in the back. I have a, a page that kind of talks to caregivers about how to help kids with their grieving and stuff like that. So anyway, I'm not sure what the next step is uh, as far as I go here, but those are the two formats the book has come out in. <laughs> wow. Is there a story about how it's named, Margaret's? No, Margaret was one of the women who, um, who was our guide when we were there. 
she was a lovely woman. So the names all come from the people I met over there. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the family tree thing, I don't, you know, maybe a marketing person would say that's not the best title. I don't know. I'm still working on all that. But also when we were there and we were at the property where they were building, there was this enormous, enormous, most beautiful tree. And it was just inspiring to me. And I thought, oh, that's mm. what it has to be. It has to be about the family tree. Mm, nice. <laughs> that's how that came about. You know, Susan, I, I want to move to uh, another, I think, a topic that's really of interest to our, our listeners. Uh, a number of our guests and, and listeners, I think, have have partnered with someone who's considerably older than they are. Uh, and some are still wondering, what is life like? going to be like in retirement. So would you share with us kind of where you are with with both of those things? Retirement with someone who's 20 years senior? Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say that's something everybody has to sort of grapple with. I, I thought about this a lot because I knew that you wanted me to talk about it a little bit. And I think, I think when you're, I think what I've had, what I've thought about with it was that there are a couple things you have to keep in mind when you're working with, when you have an older partner. I'm I'm fortunate. Jim is 91 and he still um, has his cognitive abilities, which isn't always the case when people get to be that age. Uh, There's often dementia or Alzheimer's or many other kinds of things that could happen. I'm just fortunate that he's kept his cognitive abilities. But the first is physical, and the, and and he has COPD, which means that gradually he's gotten less able to walk very far and uh, and up steps and things like that. But so the first thing we did was we joined a gym, and that way he can work out at his level and I can work out at my level. And that worked out really well for us. And we play water volleyball every Friday, or we did, in the pool, in the warm pool. And that's been a real addition to our life. We just have enjoyed that so much. So we can do some things together. So a gym is a really good idea for uh, for you if you have an older partner. Um, And then um, the other thing is really I thought about is that you have to consider and think about um your relationship and you know jim was raised in the 30s and 40s which means that he lived during the depression and the second world war and um he was an only child with a stepfather so he has a world view that's different than mine because i was raised in the 50s and 60s which was the vietnam era and the women's lib movement and the equal rights and burning the bras not that i did any of that because i was busy having kids but um and i and i came from one of five kids with a very um stable um intact family so all of those things shape who you are so you have to negotiate you have to negotiate a lot. So we have to find ways to talk and compromise. You know, your concepts about money, your concepts about roles and who does what. Jim still really would like it if I would be the one who did all the cooking and cleaning. Mm. <laughs> and obviously that's never been something I'd cared a lot about. So we have to negotiate. And we and he's been really good about that. Um, he was he was a, a officer with the Oregon State Police. And um, 
and he's very, he likes things to be in place. He's not crazy about it, but if you look in his drawers, everything is always put back in the same place. And I don't know if Catherine knows this about me, but that isn't exactly me. <laughs> I'm not exactly like that. But, you know, he's, he's been really flexible. I think one of the things I admire about him is the fact that at, at 90, 91, he's willing to try new things. And, and not everybody is. So, I mean, mm. I think that's part of the flexibility. I mean, he actually started eating sushi. <laughs> what he'd never do. So um, I, I just think you have to do a lot of negotiation. I also think from a, I mean, I'm coming from my professional background, I, I had us go see a family counselor or a couples counselor because I think that there's a lot of negotiation that you sometimes need to do with other people. If, mm-hmm. if you if you um, think that that might be a, a problem, so um, I think there are lots of things you can do. There's I think if you if you're dealing with um, like Alzheimer's or total care and that kind of thing, you have other kinds of issues. I just haven't had to deal with those yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you never will. Hopefully I never will. <laughs> Exactly, because that that adds another whole layer. I think retirement. He's been retired forever. I when I worked, I had my office to go to, and so an adjustment for me has been that I'm never really in the house by myself. Mm-hmm. And so um, we've developed friends together. Um, I try to keep up friendships of my own. I I when we when I first retired, we traveled a lot. We're getting less able due to his. COPD and has been my knees, which are now both replaced, which is a good thing. Um, we we haven't traveled as much. Of course, we still do travel. Christmas, we went to um, the Cayman Islands because my brother was down there. <laughs> so we still have been traveling a little bit, but it's getting a little harder to do. And um, so we did that when I first retired. Then we've been taking care of issues like health issues. And now... Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out, I still have something I want to do. I'm just not sure what it is. I'm not <laughs> sure if it's more about my book, if I need to, you know, reconfigure, reimagine, um, and find a way to promote that, or if there's something else for me to do. But I think um, it's, it's important because I still have the mental desire to do something else. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm just not sure what that is yet. <laughs> so, very, very good to talk with you, Susan. Really, you you bring a very a positive and um, and vital attitude to life, and I, I just think that's that's amazing. How long have you and um, Jim been married? We've been married um, 13 years, over a little over 13 years. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and who and how many years were you not married? <laughs> okay. So I was married wow. 13 years the first time I was married. 20, I was separate and single for 26 years. Ah. So, and then now 13 years again on the other side. So, yeah. <laughs> there was a little bit it's a little bit rough sometimes when you've been by yourself a long time yes 
to go back to living with someone again. Yeah. That's where a little counseling, a little conversation, <laughs> and all that helps. <laughs> and I know some really good marriage and family counselors because I. Uh, I'll bet you do. I have to make some of them. (laughs) Right. Right. Yes. Well, Susan, thank you so much for for joining us. I'm delighted to be in conversation with you again. And I know our listeners will will glean a lot from from your perspectives and as Gail said, your your attitude. So thanks again. You're welcome. And it's so nice to connect with you. And I I have a bed ready for you, Catherine. And when this is all <laughs> over, I'm expecting you to come out here and we'll have a great time. Okay, I'll be there. Okay. And listeners, we want to hear from you. Please share your thoughts in our Facebook group at Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined and become an active participant in our community. Join us at our Zoom events. Access our weekly Wednesday podcasts. And if you know a vital woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please do recommend her to us at womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.